You know, I'm still in the process of figuring out exactly what I'm going to be speaking on this morning, so you'll forgive me if it's a bit wandering. Um, Sheldon asked me what the message should be, and so I finally decided two minutes ago that the message this morning is called Not Safe But Good. And uh, I'm really just going to run through my week. It's been a terrible week for me personally, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for it. I'm so profoundly thankful to Jesus about how terrible this week was for me. And so I'm just going to walk through some of the events for it. And, um, you know, if if I start to make no sense, you can all just listen to a John Piper sermon on your phones while I'm talking, and I won't take any offense. Or whoever you like. So my week started off with Jackie just kind of my wife talking about the scripture she'd read this morning, in the morning, which is really good. She's like my living daily bread, right? I don't even really need to do morning devotionals because she's usually sharing something pretty awesome, whatever. Jackie's my favorite um, uh, practical applied theology uh, theologian these days. She's always got something awesome to share with me. And she's working through Luke. I think you're in Luke, right? Is that what you're doing? And she's sharing this story, and I'll read it for you, and then I'll share with you what she said. This is from the life of Jesus, and he's just gone into the the desert. He's just been filled with the Holy Spirit after being baptized. He's gone into the desert. He's endured the temptations of Satan, and he's come into his ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going around preaching a lot. And he comes to his hometown in Nazareth, where he's been brought up. And this is the story. It says, and he came to Nazareth. Nazareth, um, pause. Nazareth is one word that I can never say in public. Um, there's always an extra S in there, with, and there shouldn't be any. So forgive me. It's my speech impediment. And he came to Nanana, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was brought to him, which Aaron shared out of. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed." to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sounds good, right? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard that you've done in Capernaum, which is a city in another location, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, in all, this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which 
their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing in their midst, he went away. And Jackie was saying to them, to me, Jesus, he can go from everybody loving him to everybody wanting to murder him in one church service. Which <laughs> is true. So I went out. I had this really interesting week. It was bookend by meetings with Scott. And if you know Scott, he's, he's this really gentle, loving guy. Probably the gentlest, loving guy I know. And if you felt like you were that person in my life, I'm sorry, but maybe I'll get it right the next time. Anyhow, my, my week started on Tuesday with breakfast with Scott, and my week ended on Friday with a meeting with Scott, which I'm only sharing that because I think that was the Lord. And Scott says to me, well, I, I want you to come and meet this friend of mine named Dave. And I just want to warn you, people named Dave, they may be good, but they're usually not safe. And... Um, so we go to Chicken Chef to have breakfast there, and I showed up a little bit late, and so I'm there with Scott and some other missionary-type people, and this guy named Dave, who's a recruiter for overseas missionary. Is that, is that about right? So, and he's been doing it a long time. And he's just one of these guys who um, says what he thinks and thinks things that are painful to hear. Um, and so, you know, he kind of starts off the conversation pretty soon into it by saying something like, and I don't even know if he knew who I was, but it's like, you know, pastors, they should, they should probably all just like resign from getting a paycheck because they just get tied to the paycheck. They're just always like, just, they're just looking to the next paycheck. What they really should do is just resign and, and say, I'll still serve at the church if you want me, but I'm just going to trust God and live off of what God does. And and then they'll actually have stories, you know, they'll actually have stories of God pr- providing, and, and then people will actually, like, believe in Jesus, <laughs> instead of the other thing. And then the other, one of the other guys is there, is like, you know, Rob's a pastor, I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, said, I said, actually, I'm a Muslim. That's, that's what I said, just to, like... <laughs> not be under the crosshairs. Um, but it's really, it's, I think the reason it's painful is it's very true. Um, money does weird things for Christians. And I think the fact that I'm an employee at Calvary really mess, messes up our relationship a lot. Um, it, it produces some fear in me and I think produces some uh, weird stuff in churches with expectations. Um, and so that's why it hurt for him to say this, because he's kind of right that we would all be doing better if we um, hated money a lot more. Now, fortunately, in my heart, I could tell him, you don't need to not be on staff to not know where your next paycheck's coming, because while we were talking, I knew that our church is broke. Because Calvary Chapel is broke. And last time we got together, Greg and I had no idea where our next paycheck was coming from because we only had $2,000 left in our line of credit, which isn't enough to even like pay either of us. So you don't actually need to quit to have no idea where the money's coming from. 
And then I was sitting there thinking, how come if you're a missionary and you're living just off faith, that's a good thing. But if you're leading a church and your church has to live off faith, that's like a leadership failure. And I know, and I know what it is. It's because when we come to church, we want to come to someplace that's safe, which includes knowing that the money's flowing. So when our missionaries are out there living by faith, we support them and we're happy. But when Calvary has no idea where the next paycheck is coming from, then we think that's a failure because we don't want to live by faith as a church. We want to live by security and safety. These are really unpleasant realizations to have. Dave was an interesting guy because every time he said anything hard, he, he, ha- he had to stop to like silently weep and regather himself. But he seemed like a happy guy, and he wasn't even mean because any time any of us said anything that he thought was good, he would like explode with pleasure in Chicken Chef. Luckily, there was, it was a bit later, so it was in between the breakfast and lunch crowd. Um, one of the other guys there was talking. He was asking about his family, and he was saying, you know what? He had just mentioned, you know, I, I try to be really intentional to get one-on-one time with my boys. And Dave just exploded. <laughs> That's amazing. He says, I, I, I have such a hard time finding dads that will be really intentional with their sons. Um, and he's, he's, he's just expressing that he feels so broken because he, like, wants to recruit people for missions. And he said, in the previous generations, even if the parents had no faith, and only wanted security, at least I could get their kids. At least I could talk their kids into a radical life of faith and missions and giving up their life for Jesus. But now I can't even do that because their kids are just locked in their rooms playing video games or looking at porn or whatever. And so he's really broken because there's this generation, further generation, general faith, generational faith handing down loss that he experiences. He can't, he can't get them to go to the mission field anymore because they don't want to. And so he was recounting that he had a conversation with somebody who was trying to, like, give him money to support him. And he says, well, how is your kid doing? Well, I don't, I don't think well. He's just always in his room playing video games. And James said to him, he said, I said, keep your money. I don't want it. Why don't you quit your job and pray until your kid's doing great with the Lord? So number one, there's a missionary who said, don't give me your money. And then number two, he's probably right. Because what, what does a father gain if he gains the whole world but loses his children's souls? Don't you hate people who are so nice and, and kind and say things that... Just make it unbearable. So Scott was supposed to be this nice, loving, safe person. <sighs> then he invites you out for breakfast. And he actually came up afterwards and was like, are you okay? I didn't tell him to say any of that stuff. <laughs> and the thing is, is that, you know, that Dave guy is obviously not perfect and probably was overstating some of this stuff, but he, he was being very Christ-like because he was 
being very good, but saying things that made you want to throw them off a cliff. Amen. The story with Jesus, just to look back at it a little bit, you know, he's he's just in the power of the Spirit, and he's gone back home. And home is where you expect things to be, like, good and safe and comfortable and go the way you want to. And you can just imagine if, if you were one of these people in the Nazarite synagogue, and you knew everybody, and you knew how... Saturday morning, because they met on Saturdays, not Sunday. You knew how it works, and you knew, even if, you know, there's a problem with the sound, it's the same old problems with the sound we always have, right? It's all predictable, and so even if we oh, you know, my microphone might run out of batteries, but it always runs out of batteries. That's not, everything's just predictable and safe and sound. And then, you know, the guest speaker's coming, and it's Jesus. You know, it's our local boy done good. It's our hero. This is like when, you know, when somebody wins the Stanley Cup, and they they bring it back to where they grew up and everybody gets a chance to stand by the Stanley Cup. This is Jesus' victory lap. He's out there, he's doing miracles, he's getting famous, and he's going home and everyone's kind of expecting a chance to just see a miracle or see, hear him do something good and get their photo taken with the gray cup so they can get it put on Facebook. And, and for a bit, everything's going great and Jesus starts off preaching one of the like, great passages in all of Scripture about Isaiah prophesying the Messiah, Messiah coming and all the amazing things he's going to do. Like Just think about the promises of here the spirit of the lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor that's a good thing and he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives that's a good thing and the israelites at that time considered themselves captives because rome was ruling over them and they were supposed to be a free nation so they saw themselves as the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and jesus was doing those kinds of miracles and setting at liberty those who were oppressed they consider themselves to be the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor hallelujah and everyone's great and then jesus says to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing which is an amazing thing to say he's essentially saying when isaiah wrote this 500 years ago he was prophesying this day when i come home working my miracles and preaching. And they're all excited. And then Jesus intentionally, purposefully destroys it. Because there was something really not good in their church culture. They had a kind of, I guess, an ethnic pride or something like that where they saw themselves, I guess, as the people of Israel and and maybe deserving this grace and kindness of the Messiah. And so... And maybe as the people of, of Jesus' hometown, that they were maybe going to be especially close to something good. I don't know. But he nails them on having expectations of a bit of a show. What we have heard you do, or you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. You owe us. And so Jesus takes them on a little Bible, Old Testament Bible tour with a couple of prophets, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha, and he emphasizes these two stories where the Lord forsakes Israel and gives grace to foreigners.
And he reminds them that there were all kinds of widows in Israel who watched their children starve. While Elijah went to a widow in Sidon, which would have been one of their enemies at the time. And there were all kinds of lepers in Israel watching their fingers and noses fall off. And only Naaman, who was an army general who actually attacked the northern kingdom many times in his career, only he was healed by God. And it's almost like this test. If they were a really humble people, how do you think they would have responded? Probably not mass attempted murder. But Jesus takes his finger of God and he puts it right on their sin and watches them explode because he's not safe. He's good. And sometimes when you're good in a room full of sinners, they want to kill you. And this really bugs me. Because nobody wants to kill me. I feel like I really betrayed the Lord. Because somebody should. How come nobody really hates us, guys? It's not because this is our hometown. There's this person in my life who's, I consider to be not safe, but good. Her name's Jackie. I know, I I warned you, I told you I was going to talk about you lots. It is not safe for me to be a self-pitying unbeliever around Jackie Belfort. She does not suffer that foolishness. She's a really godly woman. And she wants me to follow the Lord. And so she, she speaks the truth of God to me. Sometimes we get in little fights about it, but she's really good. She's not safe. Because often we want safe, right? Often we want people in our lives that we can sit around and they won't do anything and won't say anything. One of the things I've found pastoring is that if you really want to find out how terrible a person you are, you just confront someone when they're like doing sexual sin. Sometimes they repent, but very often you find out that you're one of the worst people who's ever lived from them and some of their friends sometimes too. And the choice there is if you're going to be a safe person for people to walk away from Jesus or to betray Jesus or to destroy their life or are you going to be a good person 
who loves people enough to risk the confrontation. Yeah. I think it's one of my sins that I, I, I don't love confronting that much. I'm trying to repent. Jackie's got this internet friend. Her name's Rachel Jankovic. It's really interesting because she's a little bit famous, just a little bit. And one of the reasons we like her is because she can be really controversial, but she's happier than anyone we know, which is a rare mix. Usually when people are controversial, they're mad all the time. And she's like always happy. Even in the midst of like an internet fight where people are saying mean things to her, she's like, she's happier than I am right now when I'm seeking my safety. What, this doesn't make any sense. And so Jackie's reached out to her a little bit, and she's, she's just like this mom with six kids that's written some books, and so she actually responds to Jackie, right? Yeah, and so it's really funny. i just like, who are you? Um, and so Jackie was just saying, you know, do you actually have any friends because you say things that are so direct? I can't imagine anybody actually wants to be friends with you. Something along those lines, right? <laughs> like, what do you do about that? Do you just have really thick skin? I think that was the question. And the response was, I'd, I like a quote from this one journalist who said, I don't have thick skin, I just have different priorities. The goal isn't actually to have friends. The goal is to be good and to obey Jesus and to do good to people and to love them. And I meditate lots on 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, and how you can do all of that stuff without ever looking to see how the other person's responding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices what's good. It, you don't, it doesn't actually matter who the other person is to actually do love. You can completely obey Jesus no matter how other people respond, which is another one of those thoughts that I find devastating. And then she said, you should go watch this video because it'll kind of answer what I do. And so she'd made this video um, recently where she kind of had listed all these terrible things people have said about her. And then she said, okay, let me just do everyone a favor and I'll just say all of the terrible things just in one video so you don't have to mash it up over all my posts and get one of those like expose hash up things. And uh, Jackie's really loved. She's like, Rob, you got to watch this. This is great. And so I watch it. And her big point is, she's a woman, and she says, when it comes to women, my big expectation is that you would obey Jesus. That's the whole thing. Women need to obey Jesus. They need to obey the words of Jesus. That is the thing. But we live in this culture where feminists have seen, often rightfully, all these male-type sins. And they want to respond by doing a lot more female-type sins. Like that somehow female sins will save you from male sins. But that's not how it works. It's Jesus that saves. And you, so you obey Jesus, whatever his word says. And uh, so I'm watching this, and Jackie loves it. And I'm in one of those, those moments that guys find themselves in, where you realize you're in one of those man catch-22s. And it's like, 
you know, when, when your wife asks you if that dress makes her look fat. Because there's no way out. Right? This is an old joke. I, I remember it's from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Anybody used to watch that? No. Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv, they're heading out, and Aunt Viv's like, Ooh, Phil, does this make me look fat? And you can, he just goes like this. Because he knows, he knows right away that as soon as she asks the question, they're not being intimate that night. <laughs> right? Because in, in her head, she's thinking, I think that this dress makes me look fat, but I don't want it to make me look fat. So I'm going to ask my husband. Okay, and he's thinking, I know that if I say it doesn't, she's going to think I'm lying. And she's going to say, why would I want to go with a liar? And I'm not going to be intimate with a liar. Why are you lying to me? Yes, it does make me look fat. But if I say it does make me look fat, then she's going to say, you don't love me anymore, you don't think I'm attractive, and it's all over. Right? <laughs> Anybody? Nobody been there? Don't admit it. I know you want to have a nice peaceful lunch. <laughs> so here's my wife, who I've got to honor and, and listen to her voice so everyone can think I'm a good husband. She's enjoying this video about the dangers of just listening to women's voices when they want to sin and go against the word of God. What do you do? What do you believe in Jesus? Because I've been trying to think how, if you wanted to be like Jesus, anybody want to be like Jesus? How you could take a great Sunday morning and turn it from God is amazing to we got to kill that guy in one minute. You know what I mean? Like what would you have to say if you're going to be like Jesus for Luke 4, to go from, this is the best church service ever, to we need to kill him and kill him good now. Like, what would you have to say to pull that off? Has anybody ever wondered that? We we read these stories about Jesus and we're just like, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Where's Where's the I love you verses? You have to keep going a few chapters to get to the I love you verses, but like, this actually happened with the Lord we were just singing about. And the one we call Lord, he, he took a great synagogue service and he said something that made everyone physically drag him out of the building and attempt to kill him. You ever wondered, like, what, what could you say to get people to do that? You ever wondered that? What would you say? And all of a sudden, right now, I'm already pressing against something because we know as Christians that's not our job. We're supposed to make people feel better. Right? We're supposed to make people feel good. We're supposed to make people feel safe. It needs to be a safe place. Yeah, but it's safe. We pay you, Rob, to shut up about the hard stuff. So you can feel safe. We can feel safe. Your job, don't. Don't pull this off. You're already worried right now that I might say something that I think will empty the church. Because we have bills to pay at a new building. That's why you do this after the offering. (laughs) Well, what about next week? Don't say controversial things. The giving will dry up. Duh! 
when the, the one we worship as God, he'd be like, why don't you say the thing that makes them want to kill you? You tried that one yet? It's very good for the soul. It's freeing. <laughs> Once you've escaped your third attempted murder, you're in the clear emotionally. <laughs> I thought about some stuff maybe with Trump. You know? Like, if, if Jesus were here, he might say something like, yeah, this has been a great morning, this great morning. You know who I love to bless? That Donald Trump. That guy, every time he gets up in front of people, he's talking about how children are made in the image of God and they're holy from the Lord and we should stop aborting them. I can hardly find any Christians who will talk like that in public. That's why I love to bless that guy. Maybe. But it, it is the topic, right? If, if Christians are going to, Canadians are going to want to kill you, it's going to have to be about topics about women and sex. That's what, we, that's what we really, like, want to kill each other over. And, and we do. Like over three million kids in Canada, and I think pushing 60 million in North America. Jackie was having a conversation with somebody this week, and they were discussing whether or not uh, the leadership at Calvary is oppressive to women, which is an interesting discussion to have with somebody. And Jackie was just saying to herself, unsolicited, she said, you know, if, if the leaders oppress women, how come I'm the happiest woman at church? And so I just started laughing, which is true. I, I don't know any of my sisters who are happier than Jackie. She has troubles, and she's got a hard life, but like, she's happy. Like living with me, I mean. <laughs> like not when I'm at work, but when I'm home too, right? Mostly. <laughs> and then again, unsolicited, she says, I think it, the reason it works is because we both want to obey the Bible. And so the big stuff is already sorted out. Like, we're going we're gonna to obey Scripture. And so we're not actually trying to get something from each other that's not what God wants for us. I think we, we do sometimes imitate the world by wanting to find our safety and security when it comes to men and women and sex issues by imitating them instead of just wanting to obey Jesus. Like counting however many men are in charge of some ministries or counting however many women are in some ministries and hoping that if it's evil, even, then everything's good. And if it's not, then there's something wrong.
That's how Justin Trudeau does it. That's not how Jesus does it. So I thought, I thought of saying something really controversial. So I'll do it because of the message. I thought I would say something like, don't worry, ladies, no matter what you're afraid I might believe, it's, it's 100 times worse <laughs> what I actually believe. Because I, what I actually believe is that you're supposed to die to yourself and your life and your families and your ministries and your desires and your insecurities and your fears and your the things you want from people and your past and your future. That the risen Lord Jesus says, if anyone would follow after me, they must deny themselves and pick up their cross daily. Which means just like pick up your slow death daily. And so the church, the church by definition is not a power struggle because dead people don't struggle for power. Right? Like if you go next door to the graveyard over there, there's no elections or any riots. They're dead. So anyhow, I mentioned I met with Scott on Friday. I had a really terrible week because I was just not wanting to die to my fear of man. It's been a long time. It's been six months of just God poking. Rob, you, you just you care about people and you care about what they think and you care about their opinion. You care about preserving yourself and you care about your future and you want to keep your job. And It's all sin. It's all sin. It's all not faith in me and it's all not faithfulness to the word. And so Scott came in to talk about coffee and says to me, I'm just so glad I've got a pastor that trusts in the Lord. And I just wanted to come over the table at him because it was not true. Instead, I just cried. Poor Scott, nicest guy in the world, reducing me to tears. It probably ruined your weekend. It hasn't always been like this, guys. It hasn't always been power struggles and safety and self-servingness and worrying about money and forgetting that we're supposed to be dying for the Lord and for unbelievers. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Jackie-type women of faith. And uh, there's this one lady, I think she was John Knox's daughter. This is right during or right after the Reformation was underway, and I think she was in England. And her husband was a preacher, and he was preaching, and the king got mad at him, and so he got exiled, and he had to flee to the mainland, but he got sick there. And she went to the king because she was going to ask if he could come back so he could recover, or they could see each other before he dies. And the king said to her, yeah, he can come back, but he just has to stop saying those things I don't like. And she says to the king, you know what? I'd rather have his head cut off and right here in my apron 
than ask my husband to be untrue to the word of God. What a woman. <laughs> number one, to talk to a king like that. And to number two, be like, yeah, I'd rather have my husband dead than unfaithful to Jesus. <laughs> You're not there yet, hun, but keep trying. <laughs> keep pushing. You'll get there. You need to get an apron, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm so grateful to the Lord. I don't find Jesus safe at all. I find that even in the midst of one of the hardest seasons we've ever been in, when the building won't get done and the money is all gone, he feels totally free to come and hurt me right in my softest spot because he's so good. And he knows that if he leaves me alone, I will wander away from him. So this is the part where I wrap things up and boil things down and introduce you to seven keys to get everything you want out of life. Revival now. Uh, I don't know the future, but I think that if God wants to do what he wants to do at Calvary, I think we're all going to have to die quite a bit. And and I think we would do each other the favor to celebrate those deaths instead of worrying if it's going to cost us when people are living like that. And I think we can actually be really gracious and loving to each other during it too. Um, Church life isn't, uh, isn't easy or pain free. And I don't know why we'd ever think it would be like Jesus never, ever said it was going to be anything like that. I don't know where I, when I, why I started thinking it might be. Right, like you le- read some leadership books and then you can just nail everything down and everything's going to be sweet. We could literally do everything to have the best service ever and Jesus show up and make us want to murder him before the service is over. He, c- he can do that today because he's not safe, he's good. Now I remember what you're saying, hun. Do you know, do you know how you, we end up being safe? Is you just stay real humble around the Lord. That's the safe thing to do, is to be confessing your sins and humbling yourself. Those are always the safest people. A few chapters later in the Bible, you can read this, I think it's chapter 7, One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is the story when Jesus is invited for dinner 
at Simon the Pharisee's house and the sinful woman comes. Do you remember that, that story? So she's probably a prostitute. They just call her a sinner, but she's probably a prostitute. Simon probably has a bigger house with servants and friends there, and Jesus has been invited as a guest, but he's kind of been disrespected because he wasn't given, like, he wasn't given water to wash and his head anointed. And so during the meal, uh, this, this woman comes in, and she runs to Jesus, and she's weeping on his feet and wiping his dirty feet with her hair and just uh, absolutely humiliating herself. And Simon the Pharisee is just like, ugh, how'd she even get in here? But his main thought that's recorded in Scripture is, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and he wouldn't really be letting her touch him. Because Simon thinks that this is his safe place, right? It's his turf. It's his house. It's his gift. He's, he's got it all worked out, and he gets to decide. But Simon's not in a safe place because he's proud in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus says to Simon, Simon, there's two people who owed a money lender a lot of money. One of them owed 500 denarius or whatever, 50,000 bucks. The other one owed 500 bucks. He forgave them both. Both. Who do you think is going to love him more? And Simon, poor Simon, it's all a trap. If he had just said, uh, like, you know, me no speak English, if he had just dodged it, <laughs> it would have been okay. But because he said, I think the one that was forgiven more money, he proved that he should have been, intellectually, he should have understood what was going on here so that the problem is his sinful heart. Do you know what I mean? He... he he impaled himself. And so he says, you know, this woman's been forgiven everything and she loves much. And the implication is you haven't been forgiven anything. That's why you don't love me. So here's this, this, this woman in the room of all the people that probably despise her the most, uh, wiping some guy's dirty feet with her hair, which isn't a safe place to be in one sense. But the king of the universe is defending her. because she obviously loves him more than anything and is humbling herself publicly in it. And so this is, this is how you get a safe place in your life. You, you walk really humbly with the Lord and loving him. You walk really, really just clear about your sins, owning it the best to your ability, treasuring Christ and his word above all else. And he will be a shield about you and a wall of fire in the night.